Thank you, Bonnie and Linda, as always. Spectacular. And even if you think you messed up, I wouldn't know the difference. So great as always. Thank you. Um, all right, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis. And we're going to be starting off with the end of chapter 39, and then we're going to go through all of 40. So we have a bit to go over today. So starting with verse 21 in chapter 39. But the Lord was with... Jo- Actually, hold on. Let me start first. Reflect. Um, all right, so what we learned last week... No, two... How many weeks ago was it now? Three? Goodness gracious. All right, so we need to go back quite a bit. All right, so what happened last time in Joseph's life is that Joseph, he was at Potiphar's house, and all things were going pretty well. The Lord was with him. Everything that he did, everything that he endeavored to do, worked out for the better. It worked out better for him. It worked out better for Potiphar. Unfortunately, though, because of Joseph's um, good looks, (laughs) uh, Potiphar's wife, that's literally what it describes it as, his good looks, Um, because of Potiphar's wife, because of that, Potiphar's wife became attracted to him, and she tried to seduce him. He said no. She cried foul, and then all of a sudden, he's now thrown into prison, and that's where we left off, was that Joseph is now in prison for something that he has not done. But we learned something else, and that's where we get to verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Before we jump into chapter 40, we need to conclude chapter 39. Last time we were here, again, we saw how Joseph was put in prison, being accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife, as we mentioned. Now we learn a few details about his imprisonment. Immediately we learn what we learned at the beginning of the chapter, which is that the Lord was with Joseph. This led to becoming a steward of sorts for Potiphar's household previously. Here it leads to God showing Joseph his steadfast love, and it is seen in that God gives him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Thus, God's grace continues to be with Joseph despite his circumstances. Indeed, the keeper put Joseph in charge of the other prisoners. Just as it was with Potiphar, the keeper did not need to worry about anything he put under Joseph's charge. Ultimately, everything was done by him according to whatever it was that the master wanted. Ultimately, though, we find that it is not merely human endeavor, but it is God's blessing which causes all that Joseph does to succeed, even while in prison. Now, this leads us into chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So at an unknown time after his imprisonment, there came to the prison the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. Both of them had offended Pharaoh in some way. Indeed, the way it describes it is similar to committing a sin against him. As such, Pharaoh was angry over their misbehavior and sentenced them to prison. They were ultimately sent to the same prison where Joseph was confined. That it describes him as being confined reminds us, despite Joseph's esteem in the prison, he was still bound. He was not free to do as he will, but instead was simply a fellow prisoner with slightly higher status. Scholars are unsure who the captain of the guard is. Previously, it was mentioned that this was Potiphar. 
Thus, it is possible that Potiphar placed Joseph to attend these higher-ranking prisoners. As such, they spent an undisclosed amount of time within the prison. Now we come to verses 5 through 8. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, Tell them to me. All right, so then one night we find that both of them have a dream. What is interesting is that both of them have a dream on the same night. Each dream, despite happening on the same night, had its own elements and therefore its own interpretation. When Joseph went to attend them in the morning, he could tell that they were troubled. Perhaps it was empathy or the prodding of God himself, but we find Joseph in a compassion uh, on these fellow prisoners. As such, he asked them plainly what is causing them to be troubled. Indeed, he describes it as why their faces look downcast. Their response is simple. They have both had dreams, but they have no one who can interpret them. In ancient Egypt, dreams were understood to be messages from the gods. As such, there were dream interpreters that one would go to in order to understand the meaning of the dreams one had. In prison, however, they were... They did not have any such interpreter who could tell them whether the dream had any significance, and if so, what that significance was. Joseph, however, recognizes something more. That is, that it is God who is the one who interprets dreams. It is not a matter of someone being able to interpret them, a person who is so gifted, but God himself who is the one who gives the interpretation. As such, he requests that they tell him the dream. In this, we see Joseph's faith. Despite his circumstances, he still trusts God. So now we're going to read verses 9 through 15. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Seeing nothing to lose, the chief cupbearer tells him his dream. The dream is somewhat straightforward. It is an agricultural dream which centers around the number three. Uh, So it is. The vine has three branches. It buds, blossoms, provides fruit for the grapes. Finally, Pharaoh's cup is in the cupbearer's hand. So he took the grapes, pressed them in the cup, and then placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So again, we see three branches, three stages of the vine, and then three elements with the cup. At this point, Joseph provides an interpretation. The three branches represent three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up the head of the cupbearer. To lift the head, it implies reestablishing or consoling or blessing. As such, Joseph's interpretation is that the cupbearer will be returned to his high status. He will again be Pharaoh's cupbearer, which is a very, very important role in ancient times. 
There is only one thing which Joseph requests, and that is that he would be remembered by the cupbearer. Indeed, he recounts the fact that he had been brought to Egypt against his will, and is even now falsely imprisoned. The fact that he calls it a pit at the end is reminiscent of the fact that he is not in a hospitable place despite his status. He's still in prison, and it's not a very happy place. We now come to the next dream. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now, that the one interpretation had been told, it seemed quite favorable to the chief baker, for sure. I mean, the man was going to be restored, the cupper. As such, he told Joseph his own dream. Just as with the first dream, there were threes. In this case, it resembles more of the baker's acumen, as there are three cake baskets on his head. On the top basket, there were all sorts of baked goods or delicacies for the pharaoh. And back then, they actually had a list of about 40 different delicacies. So they were actually quite well established with their baked goods. Yet despite the food being made for pharaoh, the birds were eating the the bread from the top basket. Joseph's response is somewhat quick and shocking. Um, Just as it was with the cupbearer, the baker will have his own moment in three days. And he even begins it the same way when it comes to, Pharaoh, lift up your head. You can imagine a dramatic pause as he concludes it by saying, from you. Um, It's just, the way he says it is actually a little shocking, almost funny, if it weren't so serious. As it is, Pharaoh is not going to return the baker to his previous place, but instead he will die and his body mutilated by the birds. So now we come to the final verses. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So on the third day from the dream, it turned out that it was Pharaoh's birthday. As such, it was often the case for rulers to provide clemency for their subjects who were imprisoned whenever it was a birthday celebration or when their day of ascension happened. We find that the pharaoh did, in fact, lift up the head of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer was, in fact, restored to his position, and he again placed the cup in pharaoh's hand. Um, The baker, however, he was hanged. As such, Joseph's interpretations came to pass. In that moment, we could almost imagine the excitement for Joseph. Uh, for it was further validation that God was with him, and likely a reminder of the dreams which he had as well. Surely now Joseph would be rescued from this pit. Unfortunately, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Whether it was the excitement of the situation, or active duty, or perhaps something more, in the end, Joseph was forgotten, ever to remain in prison for a crime he did not commit. All right, so a main point. The main point of this story is to reflect on God, who is still with Joseph despite the circumstances. Through God's grace and providence, Joseph rose in esteem even in prison, though in prison he still was. As time went on, he encountered two significant members of Pharaoh's court who held important statuses. They eventually have dreams, which the interpretation is told by Joseph, though as Joseph notes, it is truly from God that such interpretations come. 
Joseph simply asks to be remembered when the cupbearer is returned to his status because that is the interpretation. We find the interpretations are true as the cupbearer is returned to his place while the baker is hanged. In the end, however, the cupbearer forgot Joseph and thus the prison Joseph remains. All right. So this week we have experienced another portion of Joseph's story which is going to keep going and basically till the end of uh, Genesis. In it, we see Joseph have another encounter with two high-ranking members of Pharaoh's court. They are both in prison for doing some wrong against Pharaoh. But in all truth, that is not what we will be focusing on. Instead, we want to focus on Joseph and his response to their dreams. Indeed, when we see him enter into the scene, the cupbearer and the baker are both long in the face, so to speak. They have these dreams, but they have no way of interpreting them. This causes them grief. If only there could be a way for them to understand the dreams which had been given to them. Do they mean anything? Do they have significance? They are so alike, and both dreams were on the same night. Surely there must be some meaning behind them. And at this point enters Joseph. This is what is so fascinating about Joseph, is his empathy. He is genuinely interested in what is wrong with them. As such, they are able to tell him freely what it is that's bothering him. As such, we find in Joseph's reply something fascinating on two fronts. The first is, notice how he does not take any credit to himself when it comes to the possibility of interpretation. No, instead of that, he recognizes that it is God alone who is, in, who is capable of interpreting dreams. God alone will give the interpretation. In this, Joseph is not like many we see today. We see so many preachers, teachers, authors who all claim to have the answers themselves. They all want to be followed, and in being followed, they will accumulate wealth and power in this world. There are so many who will say, look at me, look how great my ministry is, or look how well I preach or teach, or how successful I am, follow me. No, Joseph is not this way. Instead, he recognizes that anything he has, any ability he has to interpret, is not his own. There are many who could stand to learn Joseph's humility. He does not take any credit for what clearly belongs to God. As such, he is someone who we should emulate in our lives. Far too often, we are willing to take credit for things which truly belong to God. Indeed, Joseph reminds us of the proverb, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Joseph shows us, then, that we do not deserve the glory it is not solely me, Gloria, but solely Deo, Gloria, to the glory of God alone. But along with this, Joseph also shows us something else. Consider it. Joseph does not tell them to promise that he will only interpret the dream if they make the promise in return. He does not say, I will only interpret your dream if you promise to get me out of here. No, Joseph willingly speaks the interpretations to them. Again, this goes against what we find with many somewhat famous preachers today. We find many of them who are willing to give you your best life now, but at a cost. They take their Americanism, their desire to be healthy and wealthy, and sprinkle just enough God onto it. 
They do the very thing which Martin Luther once argued in his 95 theses. And just consider these, 81 through 91 of his theses. This unbridled preaching of indulgences makes it difficult even for learned men to rescue the reverence which is due the Pope from slander or from the shrewd questions of the laity. Such as, why does not the Pope empty purgatory for the sake of the holy love and the dire need of the souls that are there if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of miserable minds? with which to build a church. The former reason would be most just. The latter is most trivial. Again, why are funeral and anniversary masses for the dead continued, and why does he not return or permit the withdrawal of the endowments founded for them, since it is wrong to pay for the redeemed? Again, what is the new piety of God and the Pope, that for a consideration of money they permit a man who is impious and their enemy to buy out of purgatory the pious soul of a friend of God, and do not rather, because of the need of that pious and beloved soul, free it? For the pure love's sake. Again, why are the penitential canons long since abrogated and dead in actual fact and through disuse, now satisfied by the granting of indulgences as though they were still alive and in force? Again, why does not the Pope, whose wealth is today greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build this one basilica of St. Peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers? Again, what does the Pope permit or grant to those who by perfect contrition already have a right to full remission and blessing. Again, what greater blessing could come to the church than if the Pope were to bestow these remissions and blessings on every believer a hundred times a day as he now does but once? Since the Pope seeks the salvation of souls rather than money by his indulgences, why does he suspend the indulgences and pardons previously granted when they have equal efficacy? To repress these very sharp arguments of the laity by force alone and not to resolve them by giving reasons is to expose the church and the pope to the ridicule of their enemies and to make Christians unhappy. If, therefore, indulgences were preached according to the spirit and intention of the pope, all these doubts would be readily resolved. Indeed, they would not exist. All right. In these ten theses, Luther managed to cripple the idea of indulgences. Now, for those who were unaware, indulgences were used by the papacy in order to generate money. At the time of Luther, the goal was to pay the way for the Basilica of St. Peter, which still stands to this day in Rome. As such, indulgence preachers would ride around and encounter individuals and go to towns and preach. And they would tell these individuals, to pay for indulgences which would be used to get them or loved one out of purgatory. Indeed, the most well-known of such indulgence preachers was Johann Tetzel, a man who Luther despised. As such, Tetzel's famous line was this, and it's so brilliant of a line um, when you hear it. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Who wouldn't want to give to that? It's catchy. And it was used many times to encourage people to pay for indulgences that he gave out. Now my question to you is, when you hear those preachers on TV, is there really any difference? Indeed, send us some money. It will help our ministry. If you want to find out more, just donate to us today. When you hear these things, you are really just hearing the same peddling by the indulgence preachers. 
They wrapped God in the message of the day. And so it is for many of the well-known preachers today. Now as a pastor, I urge you to not look at such individuals as those who possess truth. For the greatest truth you can hear is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important lessons you can learn are from the scriptures themselves. Expounded upon by God-fearing individuals who desire nothing but the glory of God. Far too often we can take the glory for ourselves. Such individuals, they do this. Joseph, however, reminds us to say no to such temptations. Instead, he reminds us to give the glory to God alone for whatever successes we have in ministry or elsewhere in our lives. As such, be encouraged to not fall prey to the peddling of others. Instead, trust in the, jo- in the Josephs of this world, those who willingly give and provide the truth of the glory of God to you, not for their own benefit, but because they desire to glorify God above all else, and they know that the true blessings come from that. Now, another point in, which is important to point out, and one which we kind of already briefly mentioned, is the element of providence and the grace of God in this chapter. For while we know Joseph is innocent of all the wrongs which have fallen on him, the truth is Joseph would never be anything more than another prisoner if it weren't for God. For we notice that the text itself says, The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord made it succeed. Do you know how many endeavors you've been in, how many times you have succeeded, and it hasn't been anything more than the grace and the providence of God? Do you realize that in the end, the only reason you exist in time and space as you do is because of the providence and the grace of God? So many times we can become overconfident in ourselves. I see it often and have even felt it myself, if I'm honest. Maybe it is those moments when you believe you deserve higher pay. You look around and think, wow, do I deserve more than what I've been given? Yet, let's ask another question of ourselves. What separates me or you or everyone around us in this country from the individual in another country who's doing the same job for a dollar a day. What's the difference? The only difference is this, the providence and the grace of God. That's it. It's not that we were so worthy to be born in the time and space that we are in, the country we are in. It's not that we are so great. No, God is great. He is the only one who is truly great. For he is the one who places us, provides for us, and grants us grace on a daily basis. Now this doesn't mean that companies and employers should treat their employees poorly. Sorry, Mike. Not the case. You're the only one in here who owns anything. (laughs) Um, But indeed, we see the prophets and the wisdom literature, how God despises those who take advantage in such ways. Still, the focus today isn't on the company and employee relationship. We're not going to go on a rabbit hole. I'm sorry. But so often it is the case that we find ourselves complaining rather than being grateful for what the Lord has provided for already. It is easy for us to get into these kind of slumps. You know, we're all susceptible to it. It's not just in regards to how much we get paid, but it also in regards to our spouses, our kids, our parents, that is our relationships. In regards to our ministers and our ministries, it's also with our envy toward others. It's found all over the place in the human heart. So often we look at these people and we think the reason for their successes rests on some innate knowledge that they have or innate ability. 
I will tell you again what we find in the text. It rests not in our abilities, but God's providence and grace. It reminds me years ago, Chris and I were in a pickle. Not literally. Things weren't going our way at all in anything. Financially, we're in an even worse situation than we are now, <laughs> you can imagine. I rested, I rested so much, though, in that time. I really did. I rested so much in my own abilities to get us out of that situation. But do you know what I found? The more I tried to open doors, the harder I pressed against them, the more closed they were. Because they were just that. They were closed. As time went on, I began to trust less and less in myself. And more and more in God's grace and providence. Now God would in time, in his time, turn things around. Eventually God did. He provided a job and a ministry, another child all within a span of a few weeks of each other, which was really intense. But I went through some darkness and sorrow and struggling during that time. And as we found out today, the same is true of Joseph. He is currently in the darkness. There is nothing to grasp, it feels like. Joseph, though, is one who remains faithful in the darkness. And he is someone we again look to and are reminded of the providence and grace of God, and we can keep going, even when we're in our darkness. We can be sure of this. God certainly provides. The problem is, it may not always feel like it, nor can we always see it in the moment. We must pray that God would open our eyes and the eyes of our loved ones to know he is always there. There's a line from a song that reminds me of this. Um, In one of my favorite Andrew Peterson songs, and Andrew Peterson is one of my favorite authors or singer-songwriters, if you read my blog posts, I usually reference one of his. I did this last week. Anyway, um, I heard a, uh uh-huh, you're the one. (laughs) But no, he sings this. Well, it's hard to know what you're doing, so why don't you make it all plain? But you said you'd come back on the third day, and Peter missed it again and again. So maybe the answer surrounds us, but we don't have the eyes to see that you're always good. You're always good. This heartache is moving me closer than joy ever could. And you're always good. God is always good. He is always providing for us, always being gracious and kind to us. Keep holding on then to the knowledge that if your faith is in Christ and his work rather than your own, and if you follow him and bearing good fruit in keeping with repentance, that we can be sure that he does keep us, always keeps us in his hands. And as the text says of Joseph, the Lord was with him, so it is with you if you are in Christ. Now all this leads us to the gospel. Now you know what, I think I've talked about this once or twice. I need my microphone. I think I've talked um, once or twice about the word gospel. Does anyone know what the word gospel means? If you've forgotten, it means that I haven't said it enough. What does it mean? Just shout it out. Good news. And so you wonder, okay, why do I always go back to good news um, when when it comes to these things? And why do I always come back to origins, for example? Well, the good news about our origins is actually starts well beyond us. It starts with the fact that God exists at all. That's good news. That's gospel. God exists rather than does not exist. 
And that leads to us being blessed. It leads to us being made in the image of God. It means that each of us have this intrinsic value and worth, each and every one of us. But it has to start with God. God is the good news there. But you can't also, you can't have good news without bad news, can you? I mean, good news is only so good if there's bad news to go with it. And the bad news is, is that God is also, actually no, this is good news. God is righteous and just. The bad news is we are not. The bad news is, is that being made in the image of God, we have the ability of choice. And so what we have done is we choose to sin against God. And Adam and Eve, they were just the first of a long line of leavers of the garden. And we are all those who take the apple for ourselves or the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that, you know, it's always fascinating whenever, because we went through it already, and I love the way that it's described. It's so beautiful, the way that the first fall is mentioned. I know it sounds bad when I say that, but it really is when you think about it. Because the devil is tempting Eve and saying, you can become God. You can become God. Take the fruit. The knowledge of good and evil can be yours. You don't need God. You can be God. Guess what? Ever since then, we have tried to be God. Ever since then, in our societies, in our politics, in our morals, in our understanding and wisdom, we have tried to be God. And it shows repeatedly because we are prideful. And so, like them, we fall into this sin that we are God. And God, we all know this, he is a very jealous God, and he will have no gods but himself. And because of that, we deserve the judgment and the wrath of God on ourselves because we sin, we break, and we hurt everyone and everything around us. So the question is, how can we ever change? If this is who we are, if this is what we continue to do, if we continue to break our relationships with God and ourselves and each other in this world, how can we fix it? How can we take this wrath of God which is stored against those sinners who are us, and how can we turn it around? And the answer is, we can't. Because like we learned today in Joseph's story, it's not in our abilities, but it's in God who is able to do it. And it is God alone who does it, through Jesus Christ, his son. And through Jesus Christ, we find redemption, which is the whole point of the story. It's that God comes and redeems us by his grace through faith. And it's a beautiful story. And it's the best story that Jesus Christ has come. And it's not just a story, it's the truth. And this truth rings out to us, and it gives us freedom from sin. And it ultimately leads us to glory. And we see traces of it every day. We see traces of it in yesterday when we held a, fam- a meal for a family who was bereaved. There's glory in that, but it belongs to God because he is the one who urges us to do these things. It's in the grandmother who holds the grandbaby. It's in the people who give nonstop to their friends and their families for the glory of God. And we see these hints and traces of it, and then we're going to be enveloped in it when we get to God in heaven. And so we look forward to the day when Christ returns, don't we? We look forward to the day when there is only glory that's left. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more darkness. And so that's what we look for. And like Joseph, though, sometimes it feels like we're in a pit. (laughs) 
in this world. Remain faithful. God will keep you through it. He's with you through Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the teachings which we find um, when it comes to Joseph's life and how we can learn so much from this patriarch who went through so much. And Lord, especially when it comes to the fact that we are unable to do these things on our own, but you are not unable. You are completely able to fulfill all that you have said through your word. And so we trust in you alone in order to get us where we need to be. We trust in you alone to bring glory for yourself. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless us. We ask that you would keep us. And, Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to know that what your son promised us, that you, he would be with us now and forever, is true. That he is with us now and forever. So it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final song.